Radio. Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet. Showing you how to collapse time frames in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm, I'm here to help. My, my name is Nicholas Jensen. And, and this is Unlimited Wealth. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jensen. Hey, as I finished out the 2020 year and I began looking at 2021, one of the things that I realized is I haven't done a very good job of really sharing with you guys exactly what I do and how I help people or how I can help business owners and entrepreneurs. So my main jam is helping entrepreneurs and business owners strengthen their finances and build wealth uh, by investing properly. Right. So when we think about investing, there's a lot of information coming our way, but there's a proper way to do it. And then there's the way that the media tells you to do it. So I really help people uh, invest properly. I've been involved in the investing world since about uh, 2004 in some form or fashion. In fact, that's when I bought my first real estate investment. And then, so since then, my ideas and my philosophies, they've been molded and shaped, obviously, by outside influences. My own experiences have shaped those, my wins, my losses, um, the experience of some of my clients, what I've seen them do, as well as some of the mistakes that they've made. And then a lot of self-education from uh, financial experts out there. So that w- when you kind of take all of that information and you put it together... I basically took that, I compiled it over the last 15 uh, plus years. Um, I took their ideas, I implemented them, I kicked them out, I changed them, I tweaked them, I made adjustments to to the point where I finally have arrived at a strategy that actually works. And it works for most anybody out there that is willing to, to implement it. And a lot of what it is, is it goes against the grain of what you typically hear in the media and from quote unquote financial experts out there or financial celebrities, if you will. So again, the strategies that I've come up with and kind of the framework that I come up with, it'll work for anybody. I specifically focus on helping business owners and entrepreneurs implement these types of strategies, but anybody that wants to implement it, it, it can absolutely work for. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually walk you through my framework and I call it the uh, wealth optimization strategy. And so basically the reason that I call it that is everybody has a set of resources that they they can use. And so what you want to do is try to be as efficient with those resources as possible, right? You want to optimize the resources that you have to get you as far along as as you can absolutely uh, get along. So I call it the wealth optimization strategy. You're going to, or you probably will recognize a lot of the components. And it's not necessarily any of the individual components that will work, but it's compiling these components in a certain order that really starts to build this perpetual cycle of wealth being created on your end and and growing. So kind of think about it as as a snowball at the top of the mountain. You start out with a with a smaller snowball, but if you pack it properly and you and you get it moving properly, as it rolls down the mountain, it just starts to grow and grow and grow. That's the same thing with building wealth. If you do it properly and you've got the right strategy in place, 
it will do the same thing. It will perpetually start to, to grow for you. So grab a pen and paper and take some notes because if you implement what I'm about to lay out, not only will your money and your wealth grow, but your life in the next five to 10 years will, will completely change. Okay, so let's get started here. Here's the wealth optimization strategy. It's built upon three main pillars. The first pillar is mindset. The second pillar is cash flow. And the third pillar is investing. So let me walk you through each, each one of these pillars. Mindset's number one. Why mindset? Well, everything begins with a thought. Everything begins with whatever we think is typically what we're going to believe. So when you look at building wealth, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, is it even possible? Like, do you even believe it's possible? Because if you don't, then obviously you've got some some work to do there. But not only that, you also have to look at what is it that you believe? Do you believe that you have to lock your money up for 30 years to maybe hopefully one day maybe be able to use that money? Or do you believe you can take that money now and put it in a system or a strategy that will take advantage of the velocity of money and start to build wealth and create cash flow for you now, right? So, so what's your belief system there? Uh, the second thing you got to look at is, depending on what that belief system is, what do you have to unlearn? So if we look at today's day and age, and you look at the media and who's controlling the dialogue, you have to ask yourself, are there things being taught or things being planted inside of our minds through like neuro-linguistic programming and marketing efforts that don't necessarily benefit you as an individual trying to build wealth, but benefit the sellers of those products? So you have to ask yourself, what is it that you currently believe that may have to be unlearned? And as we go through this strategy, there may be some things you're like, I, I don't agree with that. And, and that's totally fine. I'm not telling you to take my word for it. I'm just telling you what I've put together works and it works really, really well. But if your beliefs are holding you back from implementing anything like this, then obviously it's not going to work for you, right? So you've got to ask yourself, what do I need to unlearn? What should I leave behind? So let me give you an example of this. One of the uh, things that's often perpetuated out there by the financial industry is Money is complicated. Investing is complicated. Leave it up to the experts. You know, turn your money over to the experts and they'll take care of it for you and they'll help help it grow, which actually isn't true. Money isn't complicated. Investing isn't hard. It's just a matter of following a defined set of principles in a specific strategy. And over time, your, your money's going to grow. So that's just an example of one thing that probably needs to be unlearned. The other thing that you have to look at is how do we need to think differently? And this kind of goes back to the unlearning piece, right? So if, if you have to unlearn things, then what do you need to think differently? How do you need to actually be thinking about wealth? Do you need to think about it as I give it to somebody else and they take care of it and they help my money grow? Or do you need, th- need to think about, I need to stay in control of this. I'm the captain of this ship. Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to leverage and use some financial quote unquote experts because quite frankly, you're going to have to leverage some of those individuals to even get access to certain products. But one of the things that you may want to think differently about is 
I need to take control over the, over this money. And that goes back to, uh, you know, one of the other thought processes out there is you all often hear about diversification. You need to diversify. You need to diversify. Well, the way that the financial industry actually diversifies isn't necessarily diversified. And I would disagree with that nomenclature. I would say what you really need to think about is control versus risk. Every financial move I make, every investing decision I make, ask yourself, how much control am I giving up and how much risk am I taking on? So rather than looking at diversification, look at control versus risk. If I make this move and I fast forward five, 10 years, how much control have I given up and how much risk have I taken on? And start to define the way that you you think about things that way. And then the last thing we want to look at from a mindset perspective is education. So if you look at today's current uh, school system and you look at society, kids, the younger generation, aren't they aren't being taught how money works. They aren't being taught how you actually leverage money to build wealth. So I would just say from a mindset perspective is once you figure this out, you absolutely need to just send the elevator back down. So teach your kids, teach your grandkids, teach uh, the generation that's a little bit younger than you on how to actually uh, do this properly. So that's the mindset piece. And when you look at wealth creation, you have to understand that your mindset is probably the number one component to making anything or any of this work. Because if you don't believe it's possible and you don't believe that it's important to do, nothing else matters. This is, this is a strategy a strategy for individuals who understand that, hey, I've got to think and do things a little bit differently than the quote unquote typical financial advice out there. And by doing that, I'm willing to implement strategies that, that actually work. So that's number one, mindset. Number two, cash flow. So you often hear the term cash is king. That's incorrect. Cash flow is king. The reason that I say that is you can have a pile of cash, but if that cash isn't doing anything, it's going to whittle away. It's going to go away. So cash flows is the second pillar. And everybody's situation is a little bit different, but I'm just going to talk about some basic principles that everybody that will apply to everybody. But your specific situation may uh, require kind of a, a deeper dive into into how you how you solve these things. So the first thing is cash flow management, because we know cash flow is the lifeblood of anybody's business, anybody's financial life. You need to make sure that you understand how to manage it and how to manage it properly. It doesn't have to be complicated. So if you're doing it on your own, you're basically looking at four things, right? You're looking at how much money do I have in the bank today. How much money did I spend today? How much money do I project is coming to my bank tomorrow or next week or next month? And what expenses am I expecting to pay tomorrow, next week, next month? And you just want to make sure that as you look at that, you're looking at that you're the, the gap between your money that's coming in and the money that's going out, there's a gap there, right? You want more money coming in, obviously, than money that's going out. So you just want to maintain that gap or you want that gap to consistently be increasing over time. Meaning that 
more and more money is coming in versus either the same or less money is going out. And it's just a cash flow management system. In business, this is absolutely vital. In your life, this is absolutely vital. But depending upon what the way that your business functions may be, determine how often you look at this, right? So if you've got a business that you're uh, a retail business that you're selling stuff on a daily basis, I would say you need to be looking at this on a daily basis. If you have more of a, a business that brings in revenue you know, every week or every month, you may want to look at this less frequently. So for example, we own a property management company. The bulk of our income comes once a month. We'll look at this cash flow statement weekly, but we don't have additional revenue coming in or very much additional revenue coming in more than just a big bulk on, on once a month. So depending upon your business, we'll, we'll determine how often you want to look at this. And again, if you have a bookkeeper or a CPA that can gather this information for you, that's even better. But you need to make sure that you are managing it. You're the captain of the ship and you understand as those numbers start to move, you understand why they're moving. And if they're moving in the wrong direction, you understand exactly what you got to do to, to fix it. So cash flow management is absolutely number one. Number two, this really applies to business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, the IRS code is built in such a way that it's advantageous advantageous to investors and business owners, right? It, that's just the way that it is. People can gripe and complain about it, but at the end of the day, that's the way that it is. So you need to make sure that you're taking advantage of every tax incentive or credit that is out there. And the way that you do this is you just simply find ways to reduce your tax bill. You find the incentives that the government has for individuals like you in your situation, and you find ways to take advantage of them in a, in a legal way. There's so many to go through that we obviously don't have time in this podcast, but if you want some quick wins around some tax incentives, uh, go listen to episode 32 where I, I talk about the three biggest wealth destroyers. One of those wealth destroyers is taxes, and I talk about four or five quick wins that you can get as a business owner to help reduce that, that tax bill. So that's number two. From a cash flow perspective, you want to make sure that you're forward thinking and always looking at how do I reduce my taxes and how do I take advantage of tax incentives? And then uh, the next one is expense reductions. So look at your company's bloat or look at your financial bloat, your life's bloat. What I mean by that is look at the expenses that are either too high or unnecessary and, and simply just fix them. Now, I'm not suggesting be a miser. I'm not suggesting scrimp and save and live off beans and rice and anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is simply get rid of the unnecessary. So naturally, as you're running a company, you'll find that you'll uh, be spending money on things that may be important today, but may not be important next year or the year after. So all I'm saying is every six to 12 months, look at what exactly are you spending money on it? and ask yourself, do I still need to be using, uh, spending money on this? Yes or no? If yes, awesome. Keep it. If no, figure out how to eliminate it. Or two, am I, am I spending the right amount of money? Meaning, has this expense started to creep up and I can maybe leverage another service, another piece of technology, something else that can help reduce this expense? And you just want to look at that, like I say, every six to 12 months and figure out, is there anything that you can, you can eliminate? Again, 
I'm not saying scrimp, save, be a miser. I'm simply saying, get rid of uh, the bloat, the fat. You just want to get rid of the fat. And the reason that we talk about expenses first is think about it this way. If you're running your business or your life the way that you're currently running it, and you just get rid of unnecessary expenses, things that you're not using, or things that uh, you can leverage a different service or technology to get you the same result, that savings and expense has a hundred percent margin, meaning that that will go straight to the bottom line. So let's just assume I'm spending an extra $500 on, let's just say a service on a monthly basis for my business. And I realize that I don't use that service anymore. I don't need it anymore. So I just get rid of it. That $500 goes straight to the net profit, goes straight to the bottom line, right? Because it's not, if I get rid of it, it I'm, my income isn't reducing or my revenue isn't reducing. And it's, I don't have to replace it with anything else. I'm just not using it. That goes straight to the bottom line. So that's a way, that's an easy win, right? Whereas when you look at revenue, let's say that you run a business on a 50% margin. What that means is if I, if I ran a business on a 50% margin and in the month I figured out how to increase my revenue by $500, that would be $250 to my bottom line. So by reducing expense, I can get the whole $500 to my bottom line. Whereas increasing my revenue, I'm only going to get half of that to my bottom line. So that's why we go after expenses first is because it's, it's, it's an easy win. The next thing is unproductive debt. So when you're looking at cash flow, look at your unproductive debt. What unproductive debt do you have out there? And what I mean by unproductive debt is if you're carrying any type of debt that one, doesn't improve your cash flow or two, doesn't increase your net worth, that would be considered unproductive debt. So identify what that is and figure out a plan, a strategy to get rid of it. Like there's tons of uh, different debt reduction strategies out there. I actually recommend uh, the cash flow index strategy. It's a simple mathematical mathematical formula that shows you how efficient uh, the debt is. And you simply want to stack break that from the least efficient to the most efficient debt, start getting rid of the least efficient debt first. And just like in a, in a snowball fashion. And then once you look at reducing your unproductive debt, the next thing you want to look at is how do I increase my revenue? Right? So we talked about this a little bit in the expense reduction, but it's naturally, it kind of goes without saying you want to always be looking for opportunities to make more money right? Even if it doesn't matter what margin you're running on, if, if there's an opportunity in your business or in your life to make more money, just identify what those are and, and start to go after them to increase your revenue. So once you have all of that in place, or you've kind of gone through that scenario, now you need to start taking the cash flow that you have and figuring out how are you, how are you going to leverage this and start to invest it. But before you do that, you need a place to hold it. You need a place for it to be safe and that you can store. So what I always recommend individuals do is start to create a cash flow vault. This cash flow vault is going to help you start to compile resources that you can start to use for investing in the future. And all a cash flow vault is is it's an overfunded high cash value life insurance policy. So the reason that I recommend a cash flow vault and the reason that I love it so much is it actually starts to create your own banking system in such a way that you're going to start to use that money that you're compiling and you're going to start using it for investing. But on top of that, it also has some other advantages. It keeps your money safe. 
It allows your money to grow. It gives you some liquidity when you're ready to use that money for investing. It's got some tax advantages. And then ultimately, uh, it protects your family when you pass away. So managing your cash flow, reducing your expenses, increasing your revenue, taking advantage of tax incentives, and creating a cash flow vault are the main components of the cash flow pillar in order to get your cash flow moving in the right direction. So the last pillar we're going to look at is the investing pillar. And this really goes back to mindset. When you're investing, you want to make sure that you're stacking your investments in such an order that you're re- you're retaining as much control over your money as possible, and you're reducing the amount of risk that you're taking on with each of your investments. So when you look at stacking your investments, or, or what I mean by stacking your investments is you want to build out each layer. Think of it as kind of a layer system, right? You want to build out each layer one step at a time. And you want to build the first layer before you go to the second layer. Building wealth, it's like building a house. You're not going to start framing walls and putting on a roof before you pour a concrete foundation. Building wealth is the same way. You want to make sure that you've got a solid financial foundation before you start to stack investments on top of that. If not, it'll just crumble. So we're going to talk about exactly what you invest in first and then what you should invest in uh, thereafter. So number one, the first thing that you want to invest in is yourself. What I mean by that is you are your number one asset. Your business exists because of you. All the revenue that you bring in exists because of you. In the future, if you're not doing so, all of your investments will produce cash flow because of you. You are your number one asset. And so you want to make sure that you're constantly improving yourself, constantly uh, working on your education and your skill set to move yourself to the next level, especially when it comes to investing. You want to make sure that you've got the knowledge to move forward rather than just pawning that off on somebody else. So number one is invest in yourself. Then the next thing you want to start to invest in is hard assets. Think about hard assets as anything you can touch and feel, right? So these are things like your own business right now. You've got a lot of control over what happens in your business. There's physical assets that you can touch and feel. So you want to find opportunities within your business that if you invest in certain areas, will make it become more efficient, will increase revenue, things like that. So your business falls in this. Cash flowing real estate falls in this. There's tons and tons of advantages of owning real estate from a tax perspective, as well as a uh, an appreciation perspective, as well as a cash flow perspective. So you want to look at cash flowing real estate, and you want to start to purchase real estate that will kick off or produce cash flow for you. That's another hard asset. Uh, another one is precious metals. Now, precious metals isn't necessarily going to increase your cash flow. In fact, it won't increase your cash flow, but what it will do is it'll hedge against inflation. It's an asset that's hard that you can touch, that you can feel, and it's not going to depreciate in value. So kind of think about hard assets are any assets that you've got control over that will ideally one, produce cash flow, but bare bones minimum will not depreciate in value and will hedge against inflation. So those are hard, those are hard assets. So that's the first thing after investing in yourself, that's the first thing you want to invest in is hard assets. The second thing is alternative assets. 
So when you think about alternative assets, you're going to start giving up a little bit of control. You're going to start taking on a little bit more risk by investing in these types of assets. So you always want to look at these as a cash flow perspective, meaning they have to produce cash flow for you to invest in them. So you may be looking at other businesses, maybe other private businesses to invest in. You're going to be looking at real estate syndications. So you may partner up with somebody or you may become a passive investor in a larger real estate uh, transaction. Both of those are going to be backed by a hard asset, right? The real estate syndication is there's actual property behind that investment. Uh, another business, there's, there's actual assets behind that, uh, that investment. Another popular one from an alternative perspective is private lending. There's oftentimes individuals, especially business owners and entrepreneurs who need a loan or need some cash for a short-term period of time. So you as an individual who has a cash flow vault and has some assets that they can lend out, start looking for lending opportunities for other individuals that, that you can charge a good interest rate for, that you've got some hard asset or some asset backing that loan and allow another entrepreneur, business owner, or individual to um, kind of fill that gap that maybe a, a bank or a traditional lending institution won't help them with. So private lending is a, a great alternative asset. Oil and gas investments, those have become popular over the years. I would just say, do your due diligence when you're looking at uh, oil and gas, because there's some tax advantages if you're looking for exploratory oil and gas investments. And then some other investments that are already producing uh, have good returns, great returns, but don't necessarily have those tax advantages. So just make sure that you're doing your, your due diligence on those. Another investment you can look at are life settlements, which is you simply buying into a pool of life insurance policies that have been purchased by investors at a reduced amount so that as individuals pass away, these policies mature and there's a, there's a margin there that they pay they pay back to investors. So that's another alternative asset you can look at. Again, I would say with those, just be uh, super careful and make sure that you're doing your, your due diligence. So the one thing you got to look at when you're looking at alternative investments is most of these are offered by private placements. What that means is individuals or operators are putting these investments together and offering them to individuals. They're not, oftentimes they are not like publicly marketed, if you will. You kind of have to know somebody or you've got to know somebody that knows somebody that's putting these deals together. So in order to really get into the alternative asset space, you got to start networking and finding people that are, are putting these, these deals together because they're all over the place, but they're just not publicly advertised. So it's not like, it, it's hard to do a Google search and to find individuals like this. So that's, uh, that's alternative assets. Now, the next one is market-based assets. These are the assets that you often hear about. These are the assets that are marketed. These are the assets that are pushed by the media, by Wall Street, all that. So when you look at market-based assets, uh, you're looking at stocks, bonds, derivatives, options, futures, all of that stuff. That's market-based assets. And that's what people are most familiar with because that's often what the financial industry is pushing. So that's the next piece. But again, remember, you've got three other types of investments to be building out before you even go to the market-based assets. And then the last one is simply speculation. Things that would fall in this are investments where you're swinging for the fences, right? You're going to strike out nine times out of 10, but that 10th one, uh, you're going to hit a home run and it's going to have a huge payout. 
So when you look at uh, speculation, look at things like or investments like cryptocurrencies. But well, let me kind of uh, put this caveat together. Cryptocurrencies is very volatile right now, but it's kind of it's not kind of, it is making some traction in the investment world where I don't know how long it's going to stay in the speculation piece. It actually may move to like the market-based piece at some point, but right now I still have it in, in speculation, but cryptocurrencies, there's some advantages to it, but the reason that it's here, it's, it's super volatile. There's not a lot of history behind it yet. We just don't know exactly, exactly where it's going to, but let's face it. There's some people that got in seven, eight, nine years ago that have made a lot of money with cryptocurrency. Again, swung for the fences. That's the one that, uh, you know, depending on what they bought, let's say they bought Bitcoin, you know, they, they hit it out of the park. So uh, cryptocurrencies falls in this, angel investing falls in this, private equity falls in this. And there's really, the way that I think about speculation is there's two types of individuals that really are investing in speculation. One are the uber wealthy, that they have expendable capital. They're putting a very small portion of their net worth in these types of investments. And two, the naive, right? The people that that just don't know, or the people that are thinking that they're going to build wealth by just swinging for the fences all the time. So I would just tell you, just make sure you're not number two. Once you get to the speculation piece, make sure that you've got a lot of wealth and that you're investing just a very, very small portion of your total assets into these types of investments. So that picture put together is the wealth optimization strategy. If you'll implement this strategy in your life over the next five, 10 years, your financial life and your life in general will absolutely change. So if you're in a position where you're making really good money and you want to implement something like this, but you need a little bit of help, feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at nicholas at nicholascjensen.com or you can hit my website at nicholascjensen.com and connect with me there. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate all of you guys. We will talk to you next time. Have a great one. See ya. Hey, real quick. Are you a six or seven figure entrepreneur who is making great money, but like so many other unwealthy successes, you're not seeing your wealth grow? If so, I can help. Head over to nicholascjensen.com forward slash wealth and take my free wealth building assessment now. Learn how to become a strategic investor and start building the wealth you and your family deserve. Again, that's Nicholas, the letter C, Jensen.com forward slash wealth. We'll see you next time on Unlimited Wealth.